Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. What the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. And welcome back, everyone. Hello, Robert. Hey, how are you? Oh, Robert. Like Robert. I don't know. It is Robert. It is Robert. What's your middle name? I don't know. Edward. Is it really? Yeah, my initials are red. <laughs> and you were born in 666. That's well, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm not even going to go there. Uh, so cool. Let's uh, we're going to do a completely different kind of show tonight that we've done before. So we're going to do a kind of a question and answer thing. What's the the genesis of this? That you started getting questions coming in. Yeah, and again, we want to encourage anyone listening to send questions in. Uh, they can send them in a couple of different ways. Some of you know my email address or Vinny's email address. Send it to our email address there. We can put our email address in the show notes if we want. Also, you can go to the DeterminedTruth.com webpage. And the contact me page and just fill out that contact me form and, send, and submit questions that way. And we're going to have Q&A sessions occasionally. We're probably going to do a couple, one this week and one next week. So if you want to have some more questions that might get on the air for next week's, let us know. If they're Facebook friends, can they send you a message or do you do, you do Facebook messages? I don't have any friends on Facebook. You don't have any you know, friends? Yeah, of course they can. We've kind of gone through and categorized some of these because oftentimes mm-hmm. you, you might get 15 questions and they kind of fit in the categories. So let's talk about, we'll start off tonight talking about issues that have to do with the law, mm-hmm. which I remember when I was in seminary, I made it a point to ask every professor I had, because I was really trying to figure this out during this time. Like I, I try to uh, ask them, how did you like understand the law and, and what was the law and that sort of thing. And so every professor had a different view, whether it was mm. that the law is all 613 commands in the old Testament, or the law was just the 10 commandments or the law was like, you had all these different views of, of what they were, which was frustrating. Cause now I'm like all these learned people and no one can give me a straight answer. Right. Uh, so it definitely shows like the, the difficulty that Protestants have had, especially. And I want to say Protestants, cause it, this isn't even on the, the show notes, but even like how we, have historically divided up the law in a mm-hmm. what would be called a tripartite view, where we, we say we, there's a moral law and a civil law and a ceremonial law. We, we could talk about that, I guess. Uh, I'm, I'm throwing stuff up there because I think those are this becomes maybe a mainstream idea of how to view the law. Uh, but it, let, let's let's you know, as we just jumped into it, maybe a starting point could be what are the commandments I need to know and obey as a Christian? And I guess that the important thing is, is as a Christian, this would be a different mm-hmm. conversation if we were Jewish, but we're specifically talking to Christians. But even in some, to some extent, a Jewish person is going to give the same answer as us. Okay. Although we're going to, and this is our last episode that came on the air a, few, a couple weeks ago. And that is, there's two, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the problem with saying that is we need to fill in the definitions of what that means. And, and fill in the context. Oh, okay. Because all Christians, they say it all the time. Oh, love the Lord your God and love your neighbors yourself. It's like, yeah, but not, but what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, Jesus seems to summarize the entirety of the Old Testament law in these two commands. And some have said, well, the first four, uh, the 10 commandments are, are contained in love the Lord your God. And the last six commandments are contained in love your neighbor as yourself. So I think I'd go there mm-hmm. and say, that's really what it is. But that's a whole lot more than what we think it is, and we have to and fill that in. So, do you have any thoughts on this before as we as we proceed? No, no, I, I, I think I, I think I would agree with that. And even the, the 
the categorization there in terms of looking at the law, you know, the, the Ten Commandments and saying you have these first four that are completely directed or three, depending on your tradition, because uh, that, that becomes an, a really interesting <laughs> debate in terms of how uh, different groups have split those up. But uh, we all agree with the content is regardless of how we organize them. But there's those first batch, we'll, we'll say those first four that are directed primarily to, uh, you know, between the covenantal people and their God. Uh, and then the other ones are like, okay, well, how do you love one another? It looks like this. It looks like not coveting your neighbor's stuff. And it, right. it looks like murdering them. Like that's a good place to start with not, you know, <laughs> with loving your right. neighbor. And so it's, it's, I think that's a really helpful way of uh, categorizing it. Right. And, and the, what we said at the beginning of this is why a Jewish person would answer the question the same way. Mm-hmm. We, of course, as we mentioned on the last podcast episode, would say, well, yeah, but love the Lord your God means to love Jesus mm-hmm. because Jesus is... Uh, the embodiment of God or the incarnation of God. Mm-hmm. So it's to love Jesus as a member of the triune Godhead. And secondly, to love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus defines love, which we did with the Michael Gorman episode. And I know you weren't able to make that interview there, but it is to be willing to take up your cross and deny yourself and follow Jesus by laying down your life for the sake of the other. Sacrificial dying for the sake of the other, loving the other person so much that you lay down your life for them. Now, Another thing I think it's important to say is loving your neighbor as yourself doesn't mean that you have to like them. I, I think so often we think, okay, loving your neighbor means I have to be nice mm-hmm. um, and I have to, and I have to like them and treat them all nice, you know, nicely. It's like, well, you know, so no, we might not treat a serial killer nicely at this point, particular point in time or someone that's abusing children, but we still love them mm-hmm. and, and we still proceed with, with sacrificial love. It may take on a different form of justice and things like that. Uh, but I think the ultimate essence of it is Philippians 2. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Uh, Philippians goes on to say, who, being very nature of God, took on the nature of humanity and died mm-hmm. for us. And that's when God exalted him. So when we can really grapple with that, and this is where um, the Jesus Creed by Scott McKnight is a phenomenal book. It does a really good job of going into depth of what is the Jesus Creed and what does this mean uh, and loving your neighbor as yourself and, and all that. So I'd say that's what we need to understand. That's what we need to do. Well, and the seriousness of loving your neighbor as yourself, like taking some of Jesus's words seriously, like, you know, he, he condemned the tax collectors. They love each other. Like, like mm-hmm. what good is that? And so it's even starting there, like looking at your own tribes. Yes. And especially this polarized age that we live in as Christians, especially now, and, and as American Christians, how we've been delivered, uh, not delivered, but uh, pushed into you know, political factions. And and now we identify not mostly by who we, you know, share the Lord's Supper with, but by who we vote like. Right. Right. And so recognizing like that, no, like, yeah, you are to love all your neighbors, but it, it's, you don't love your neighbor more who votes like you. Or looks like you or, or dresses like, like you or like yeah. the type of music you like in your church. And uh, yeah, we can go on for a long time on this and really flushing this out. And I think that's part of what the Christian journey is all about mm-hmm. is constantly contemplating what loving your neighbor looks like, what cross-bearing love looks like, and constantly away, oh, that's that wasn't cross-bearing. Oh, that wasn't loving. That wasn't considering the other better than myself. One of the best things you can do on that is listen to them. You know, because one of the things, one of the reasons why we look down upon somebody else is in all honesty, because we really don't actually understand them or respect them. And if we start listening to them and hearing them out, I think we understand them better. And someone said this one time in my church, and I thought this was phenomenal. They said, you know, when you pray for your enemies, Mm -hmm. 
eventually it just changes your heart towards them. Mm-hmm. Because if you're praying for them, then it just, you want those prayers to come true and you start wishing uh, well on them. So that's where I would start. I'm even thinking about that on today, the day of this recording right now. Uh, today is literally the, the day of the recall election. Like people oh, voted today in California, in California. Oh, yeah. I'm not there anymore. That's not part of your world anymore. Yeah. Uh, and so just seeing the, mm-hmm. for me, just seeing the comments that have been happening on social media uh, and I, it's perfectly fine to have distaste and have sure. an opinion on how people govern. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably should. <laughs> it, it's good to have a perspective, you know, because that means you're being aware of what's happening. But just the way people talk about their political enemies, it's like mm-hmm. it, it's somehow exactly. We're, exactly. We're, that's allowed now. We, we can wish death on people. We can wish sickness on people. And it's it, we get a pass because it's a political enemy and obviously wishing death on you know, a governor or a governor candidate is it's, you, you could speak badly about him because it's like speaking about about the devil. You know, and we 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 dehumanize, we desensitize ourselves to people who are man. These are like living, breathing people who are made in God's image, just like you and I, and and literally hold the same inherent value that you and I do. Therefore, we need to talk and think differently about people, mm-hmm. and ask: Is that loving? Is that something that I would say to their face? Is that something that I could say to them? once and then turn around two seconds later and tell them about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. So even then to clarify something, we need to love people, even if people who we don't like you, you had mentioned, uh, you know, people who might do bad things. So what you're not saying, what, I, what I'm not hearing you saying is that the person who breaks into my house mm-hmm. to, to steal, right. right. And it's not even about protecting my stuff. It's the fact that they're coveting their neighbor's stuff, right. They're, 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 they're violating the law of God. Uh, they're breaking into my house. Loving them does not mean letting them just take whatever I want or like giving them a free pass. Loving them could be calling the police in order to pr- protect my other neighbors mm-hmm. or, right. or protecting them from themselves because they're in a destructive. Uh, yeah, because they're going to go do it, do it again. Yes. Right. And uh, absolutely. Or defending your children. Uh, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's different, obviously there's a spectrum of Christian mm-hmm, thought on what that could even look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you could go to the, have you ever read a uh, Tolstoy's the kingdom of God is within you? No. <laughs> I read that one summer and that messed me because that guy is like an extremist. He, he, he goes through the sermon on the mountain. It's basically like, yeah. you know, it, it, it's like, if you see someone, you know, you know, beating someone in front of you, don't raise a hand to them because <laughs> you, you got to turn the other cheek. It's like this ultimate wow. hyper pacifism. And, and I, I don't agree with what yeah, he learned. I don't agree with hyper pacifism like that. But, no. that. but reading it was very helpful for me because it's like, mm-hmm. okay, wait a minute. This is a guy who's not reading things from an American Christian standpoint. It, obviously, you know, he, he has a, a Russian thing that he's dealing mm-hmm. with in a, in a whole other, uh, you know, uh, situation in life. But it, it kind of knocked me out of my own way of thinking about what loving people means and how seriously some people do take, you know, the Sermon on the Mountain, the world's, words of Jesus. And that, that really kind of knocked me from my own comfort level as an American in terms of how seriously we take Jesus's words. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so let's talk about the Old Testament then. Uh, but, you know, because we've kind of laid mm-hmm. the foundation and, and your, your hermeneutic, your way of reading and understanding the Bible is always going to be through the lens of Jesus. Right. It's going to be Christ-centered. So we need to understand the Ten Commandments in, in terms of Jesus. Uh, but we have, when we do read the Old Testament, there's like hundreds and hundreds of commandments. And this is one of the questions, how could I possibly keep all of them? And, and so one of the questions would be, how would they relate to us today in our modern time? I think we're still on the same topic in all reality. Yeah, the question is, how do I, how do I possibly keep them all? So rabbinic tradition is that there's 613 Old Testament commandments. 
technically I would say there's 10 commandments okay. and the rest of them are actually applications or case laws. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen like the Little League rule book. The Little League rule book is like really thin, mm -hmm. but then the Little League, Little League case book is like really thick because so all these case laws, and that's kind of what happens is thou shall not murder. Well, well, if two men are fighting and this happens accidentally, you know, is that murder? That That's really what you're looking at uh, are case laws. And so I'd say the answer is you can't actually keep them by the flesh. We can keep them through the spirit. Mm -hmm. And of course, now we're going to have a spectrum of denominational differences on how on, on what we do with that. And, and my answer is, there's just going to be tension there and live in the tension and don't try to take one side or the other. I, I simply say, in the flesh, I can't keep them. In the spirit, I can keep them. And somewhere, I'm going to live this life wrestling with them. Whether you go all the way to say, I can't actually be, be, attain perfection the, these days, as some would say, or whether, no, I'm a shameful, reckless uh, a person, as others would say. Mm -hmm. So I think the answer is we can't stop and say, well, I can't keep them because I'm in the flesh and I'm never going to get away from that. Therefore, either woe is me or, oh, well, I just won't even get, I won't even try. Um, no, no, no. We are to strive for perfection, whether we can attain it in this world or not. Well, okay. There's theological arguments on, on both sides, but the reality is that's what we're supposed to strive for, but we can only do, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. And, and I think that's where the answer is. Yeah. So, and even like in Matthew 5, 48, I want to say the end of chapter five, when right. he does talk about being perfect as your father is yeah. perfect. The context of that even has to do with uh, how you love your enemies, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's not just, Hey, like, I'm just giving you this blanket command of being perfect. Uh, I mean, that, that would be an impossible task to try to accomplish, but the context of that whole thing, it's wrapping up this whole uh, talk on how you love your enemies. It, yeah, it's just like it, how did God right. love His enemies? Well, and and let's look at it this way. So one of the questions is that that's, that's coming up here, that's that's related as well is well, do the Old Testament commandments even apply? Mm -hmm. And the answer is yeah, <laughs> of course they do. But Jesus, but through Christ, they are consummated in love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so there, what Jesus does in Matthew five is he takes the Old Testament commandments. And he intensifies them. You heard that it was said, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you that whoever has hatred in his heart has, murder, has committed murder already in his heart. And you're like, oh, Jesus actually said murder is wrong. But now he says, actually having hatred in your heart uh, is the problem. And I think what you're looking at then is that in the New Testament, this is based on, of course, the book of Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37 next I'm going to give you a new heart through the spirit of God. Jesus now intensifies them because you see what happens is hatred in the heart leads to murder. So in the Old Testament, you can look at it this way. In the Old Testament eyes, as long as you didn't murder somebody, you were okay. You could hate them, but you couldn't murder them. You didn't actually violate the commandment. Mm -hmm. and Jesus comes along and says, no, because murder starts in the heart with hatred. I'm going to transform your hearts through the spirit so that you can't even have hatred in your heart any longer. Or mm -hmm. Adultery now, now was the Old Testament commandment, and now it's, well, you can't even lust because lust begins in your heart. So I think you're looking at this, be ye perfect in Matthew 5.40 is the summation of all mm -hmm. Jesus' intensification of the laws. So to summarize here, do the laws apply to us in the New Testament? And the answer is yes. Jesus, in fact, affirmed them, but he intensified them. And he intensified them by saying, I want you to be transformed in your heart. So can I keep them? Well, no, but we're to strive for that by having our hearts transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit.
So a, a couple of things on that, that I'm, I'm thinking, and they're kind of in two different areas. So I'll, I'll ask one first. Um, the, like, do, does it apply to Christians? Absolutely apply applies, but we would want to distinguish from a covenantal standpoint when we're reading the scriptures. Right. Uh, and it'd be interesting to hear your take on this because uh, the way I understand the, the because I would, I would totally agree with you in terms of, I think the 10 commandments is the law and then everything else is a case study. I, I would, I would agree with that. Okay. Um, the way I would understand the 10 commandments in a sense of that is itself the, the covenant, like mm-hmm. that's the stipulations of the covenant as well. Uh, it, and, and, you know, God says this in, in Exodus and Deuteronomy where he says, Hey, I, you know, I declared the covenant, um, which I, which I wrote on those stones, uh, you know, and so that seems to be the, the stipulation or the covenant itself. So in a sense, I am not as a Christian under the 10 commandments, because that's, that's specifically the covenantal right. terms uh, that Israel, you know, the covenantal people were God under, but they apply to me in the sense of Jesus absolutely affirmed <laughs> that this is still, uh, you know, the way to please God. And it, it demonstrates, uh, you know, what, what God demands of his people in a sense. I don't know if you'd want to parse that out. In, in, in yeah. Different- I'd want to nuance that a lot myself. Mm-hmm. I would say, we can't read the Old Testament and the New Testament as though they're two separate things mm-hmm. that just got pasted together into one book. As though there's like before Jesus and after, and after Jesus. Now, there certainly is a before Jesus and an after Jesus, but it's this one story and this one narrative. And that narrative finds its fulfillment in Jesus. So are we, un, do we, are we obligated to keep the Ten Commandments? Yes, but obviously through the lens of, through the Jesus lens. Now you look and go, well, what is that? What do we do with the sacrificial laws, right? Because that's one of the places you want to go. What do we do with the sacrificial laws? And the answer is, well, they were looking at them through Jesus' lens. Clearly, Jesus was the sacrificial fulfillment of them all. Mm-hmm. But notice, Romans 12 says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So in the sense, then, the sacrifices of the New Testament are transformed because the priest becomes the sacrifice also. And we are priests in and through Christ, right? First Peter 2 mm-hmm. and elsewhere. And therefore, we also are therefore the sacrifices. So I think too easily we say, oh, Old Testament sacrifices fulfilled by Jesus. Uh, therefore, they're all done away with. No, they're not done away with. They're transformed. And the transformation then is because is that we ourselves become a living sacrifice. So I think we, I think I wouldn't make this strong line of demarcation or division between the Old and the New Testament as though past tense, done, fulfilled, only what Jesus says applies. Mm-hmm. No, it's not like that. The whole thing applies, but it applies to the, having to look at it through the lens of Jesus. Now, it, doesn't, it makes it messy. And I think people listening to the podcast like this would want to go, hey, would you just simply say yes to this one and no to this one? And so I can get on, get on with my business and know what I should do and what I shouldn't do. And this is, well, actually, it's not that simple. It's yes to all of them. But in a Jesus world, in a Jesus fulfilled context, and then we have to figure out what that looks like and what that means. And again, I go back to it. what it looks like, what it means is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that means take up your cross and follow him. Mm-hmm. And love your neighbors yourself. That means lay down your life for the neighbor, considering them, uh, them better than, than yourself. That's what living sacrifices look like, et cetera. So, okay. So, with that, then, uh, how, how would you uh, say we apply something like uh, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy? Very good. Like from uh, a Christian standpoint, because that's going to be yeah. the one that definitely becomes the hang up. That's right. So, I have a four part blog uh, on my blog site, so determinedtruth.com. And then if you go to the archives, 
and you scroll down and choose the word Sabbath, you're going to come up with a series of four different articles I've written on this. Because I haven't seen it answered to, from my standards satisfactorily by, by a lot of people. I think the answer is, is that you look at the, the, the Sabbath law and like it does apply in the sense that what applies uh, for us today, uh, and I look at this through the lens of Matthew 6, uh, you can't serve God and mammon, that we're giving honor to God as a holy day and we're recognizing the holiness of that day. But what work means is this idea of what I do for a living, I'm doing it under the context of I have to do this in order to survive today. When we fail to trust God, provide for our needs, and work seven days a week, we're, we're violating the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Now, I personally would say, if your job says, hey, look, we, you have to work this day, uh, we need you to work the weekend, the, you may well work the weekend. But when you're doing it for greed, when you're doing it for the sense of, or not even necessarily greed, when you're doing this for the sense of, I need this because if I don't do this work and I don't raise, make this money, I won't be able to pay my bills. That's where like, no, actually now God's like, you're not trusting me at all. I provide for the birds of the air. I provide for the lilies of the field. I'm going to provide for you also. So go ahead and take this day off. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a place if your boss says, hey, I need you to work the weekend. Here's what it is. No problem. I can, I can do that. I think we might not want to do that. We might want to be clear with our boss beforehand. Hey, I'm, I prefer not to do this. But it's when, when we're working as though I need to do this in order to raise enough money to live on, mm-hmm. God's answer is, you're not trusting me. I'm going to provide for you, whatever whatever that might look like. So, And, and I explain, I think, I hope a lot better than what I just did uh, in uh, the four-part blog. So let's maybe use like a, a sports analogy and it's not going to, uh, yeah, yeah. this is going to apply to like, no, probably no one who listens to this, but um, like the sport that their primary day of work is going to be NFL. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, unless you're on the Raiders and they don't work so every I'm Sunday, they take some off. I'm going to use her. <laughs> they take some Sundays off. Yeah. yeah just in January. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. No season's over them by next. Right, yeah. Go ahead. So say you have a, uh, you know, you have the, anyone who plays professional football they they got to that point because they worked their butts off, right? You don't just slide into that, uh, unless mm-hmm. you're Jamarcus Russell, uh, which a Raider, which we won't talk about anywhere, but <laughs> But you, you, there are those guys who they want to get paid. I mean, they they love football, but man, they want the contract and they want to live that lifestyle. And, and so for them, and we could say there's probably some people who identify as a Christian who that's what they're doing as well. And so for them, it's like, no, there, there's a sense. And obviously we're pro- providing a hypothetical case study here, but there can be an aspect of because your motive seems to be just, you know, accumulating as many millions of dollars as you can there is this idolatrous breaking of Sabbath in a, in a sense. I, I'm just, I'm just mm-hmm. going with this. Whereas we will bring a Raider in here, someone like a Derek Carr, who, who actually at one point when he did sign his new contract, it was like the highest paid quarterback contract. But this is a guy who literally has publicly uh, struggled with the fact saying, I don't know how long I want to play football because I'd love to go into ministry. Mm-hmm. And he uses his platform, whether you know we identify with maybe his uh you know, his brand of, of Christianity, but he uses his platform to, to praise the name of Jesus. Sure. Absolutely. Or we could say like, okay, well maybe that the, the motive is different than the guy who just wants to make the billions. Well, sure. And it's hard because we're doing a hypothetical here. We don't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. First thing is this, the Sabbath day clearly in the new Testament was changed from Saturday to Sunday. So mm-hmm. that, that's, that's another one of those topics. 
uh, is, isn't the Sabbath day Saturday? What, what do we do that? Uh, and it was changed because, as we said earlier, all the commandments and all the scriptures have to go through the lens of Jesus. Uh, the Sabbath day today uh, now is for the gathering of God's people to get together, to take communion mm-hmm. and, and do this in remembrance of me. And what we're, what we're remembering, of course, is the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And the best day to take communion on is Sunday. It's either Friday or Sunday. Friday the day he was crucified. Sunday the day he rose. And so clearly it's Sunday. We take bread because, and bread that has risen bread because it commemorates the rising of Jesus. But if you're a pastor, you work on Sundays. Mm-hmm. So you can't say, well, Christians, you have to take Sunday off. If, if so, how do you have church? Yeah. Because there's a lot of paid people working on Sundays, not just the pastor, but other staff members. Yeah. Uh, My work week is Sunday through Thursday. Yeah, ex- exactly. So we recognize already that uh, the point of that is taking a Sabbath rest. The best day to take that Sabbath rest is to do it on Sunday when most churches gather. However, it could be a Wednesday night Bible study that that is your Sabbath day uh, there. I think it's taking a 24-hour window and, and resting. So even an NFL football player is going to have Monday off or some day during the week off to rest the body. And if, if they're trying to get millions and millions of dollars, they know that actually the best thing I can do for my body is to take a day off and, and, and rest it. But it doesn't matter if you're trying to get millions and millions of dollars, or if you're just trying to get ahead in the corporate world, it's the same thing. It's just the dollar numbers are different. Most people struggle with this. I'm trying to get way ahead in, in life. I'm stressed out at work. I'm stressed out at this because I need this promotion. I want, this. and it's, it doesn't matter if it's for a millions of dollar contract or if it's for a $10,000 raise, uh, or a 401k, whatever it might be, uh, those things, are, the motivation has to be what, what it is. Mm-hmm. But I think that's two different nuggets a little bit, essentially, okay. the Sabbath itself and the driving motivation to, to succeed, which isn't necessarily wrong. And as someone like David, Carr, I'm, I'm going to make as much money as I can because my football window, my career, the career window is short. And the more money you make, hypothetically, the more you can use it for the Lord's service. So there's, there's a lot to be said there. Yeah. Uh, going back to something you mentioned uh, previously was my, my other question that I want to notice. So you, you made a comment about uh, the ceremonial laws being done away with in Jesus. So this goes into that tripartite view where we, where we divide up uh, the old Testament law into moral, civil, ceremonial, and what's popularly taught. And I, and I believe this started, I, I've been trying to find like the origin of this. I think it started like Aquinas started working it out, you know, maybe in the, in the, you know, 13th century. Yeah. 13th century. And then, uh, you know, Calvin and, and the, the Protestant reformation definitely like pushed it uh, to, and popularized it. So as someone who I, like, I grew up Lutheran, um, like this is a, just a popular way of understanding right. the law. And, and, and usually what's understood is the civil law was for, uh, Israel, you know, theocratic Israel, the ceremonial law was what the, uh, and so obviously we're not theocratic Israel anymore. The, the civil, the ceremonial laws, uh, you know, what the priest did, well, Jesus took care of that. Therefore we're only left with the moral laws now. And then there's an argument. What is that? Well, we think it's nine, of the, nine of the 10 commandments, excluding the, the Sabbath. Cause that was a ceremonial. How do you go about when that comes up? And I'd love to hear your perspective. Yeah. Any type of, of dividing up the scriptures like this is always, overly simplifying things and overly simplistic and not grappling with the fact that the, the muddiness of uh, the, uh, the muddling of or the muddiness of the whole issue mm-hmm. so the fact is you can't simply do that I mean, some of the laws are like well what bucket does it fit in so again mm-hmm. ceremonial laws or sacrifices and and festivals and feast days and things of that nature the civil law are laws of the of the nation that apply to the nation state of israel uh, and the moral laws are don't murder things like that 
And the answer is they, they don't always divide up that easily. And so I think anybody that's trying to divide things up that easily is missing the point. Uh, the point, again, ultimately is all of these things are fulfilled by loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which means taking up your cross and following Jesus, surrendering your goods, surrendering your possessions, surrendering your land, surrendering your family, your pride, whatever it might be, and following Jesus, and then loving your neighbor as yourself, meaning you love them so much that you consider them better than yourself, and you willingly sacrifice your life for them. That's really, let's just keep it there. And then as a daily process, figuring out what that means and what that looks like, uh, et cetera, instead of saying, yeah, and I think that I don't agree with the Lutheran perspective of how they divide the laws up like that. So no, I would, it's just not that, easy. it's much messier. And, and you don't really read any Jewish literature that tends to divide it up. It's always spoken of in a singular, mm-hmm. uh, and then like, how do you determine it? Like if, if I'm gathering sticks on the Sabbath, okay, that might be breaking the ceremonial law, but it's also a civil law because it's the law of the land and you're, you're going against God's heart. Like that's breaking a moral law. Like how, how can yeah, you, right. things? it's more, it's more, it's more like a pot of spaghetti. How do you, how do you pick out just one noodle? You know, they're all, they're all interconnected. When we say uh, the relationship, just to kind of put a button on this. Like yeah, exactly. A lot of stuff then. You know, if we look at the relationship between the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament and Jesus's commandment, it's just we're saying, hey, like it's as simple as saying, you know, love God, love others. So to wrap up this, because we've discussed a lot of Old Testament jargon and that sort of thing, to connect uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, you know, the relationship between the Ten Commandments and Jesus's commandment, are we just saying it's as simple as saying, love God and love others? Like, don't overthink it. This is just what it is. Uh, I'm not sure I'd say don't overthink it. I'd say no, absolutely try to continuously overthink it because we have to constantly say, what does love God love others mean? So yeah, it's it's as simple as that, but that's not simple. And I think what this comes down to is, and something that we're going to be doing here as we, we, we move forward, is how do we understand the Bible? How do we interpret the scriptures? And that's the point is that we interpret it through the lens of Jesus. It always points us to Jesus uh, in and through Jesus. And, and I think that's the ultimate answer. Okay. So we can't, we, we can't be the ones to define love then. So love God, love others, but, and then Jesus and God have to define what love means. So well, he did, and, and he did, and, that's not, and that was on the cross, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. The cross is the definition of love, considering others better than yourselves, right? Or as 1 Corinthians 13 says, it's not self-seeking. I think that's the key definition in the list in 1 Corinthians 13. And love is kind, love is not boastful. Yeah. Love is, it's like, it's not self-seeking. That's why it doesn't boast. That's why it's not proud. That's why, you know, it considers others, et cetera. So as Michael Gorman, uh, the aforementioned Michael Gorman would say, you live the cruciform life, a cross shape. And that's why I, th- I said that episode with Michael Gorman. If you haven't listened to it yet, go back and listen to it. If you haven't read his books, if you're a student or whatever, I strongly recommend his books. And he has a popular level of, of that book. That is the essence of the New Testament. This, this is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think maybe start with the Jesus Creed by Scott McKnight and kind of work through that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. And then wrestle with this for, for the rest of your life. So yeah. when our when our good friends the Gideons give us Bibles that just have the New Testament and the Psalms and the Proverbs, hey, that's a great start, better than nothing. But that's an incomplete Bible. It's a tragically incomplete Bible because you're you're missing the whole thing. In fact, so let me add one more thing to this. The Old Testament has this constant exhortation, encouragement to do to do justice, right? He has shown you, a man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. It's just all over. Righteousness and, and justice, righteousness and justice, right? And then you get to the New Testament and you don't seem to see those mm-hmm. languages as often. And the answer is, 
actually righteousness and justice are consumed on Jesus's definition of love. In Luke 6, when Jesus kind of defines love and says, do everything out of love, he uses the example of, it's like a measure shaken and pressed down. When you're, when you're measuring out grain and you're selling someone grain, hey, I'm going to give you a pint of grain for a dollar or whatever it might be. Uh, and you fill that thing up. Jesus like, shake it up and let the grain settle down and then top it off and put some more grain in there. Hmm. Well, obviously, you're, the people next to you aren't doing that. The people in the booth next, you don't, you don't have to shake it up and, and let it settle and then put more grain in it because no one's doing that. And you can take advantage of your customers by giving them a little less than a pint you know, or whatever the, the measure might, might be for the, for the dollar. And he's like, no, love has this economic sense of justice, which is equitable and fairness in business dealings. And that's exactly what righteousness and justice are all about. So you see how Jesus defines love is to, is to consume right, righteousness and justice underneath the umbra- umbrella of love. Well, and even though you're using terms like equitable and fair, and immediately those are words that have been politically hijacked to which if we have any listeners right now who are more politically informed, their ears are going to be pinging, <laughs> especially if you're, if, if you're on the right saying like, hey, wait a minute, these are words that I hear coming, they sound liberal. And, and this is where we got to say, hey guys, we need to shed ourselves yeah, and exactly. not, point. not read the Bible through political lenses first and political allegiance. Say, okay, just what does God require of us? And we need to start there. Yeah. So I'm using these terms in the context of personal relations with someone else. If you think they apply by extension to the nation and you're a Democrat, that's fine. If you think they don't apply by extension to the nations because people just take advantage, whatever it might be. Okay, fine. You're a Republican, whatever it might be. Okay, great. But as a Christian and how the church operates, we operate with a Jesus ethic of equity and equitable and fair, right business dealings with others and treating others fairly, paying them a fair wage, all all that stuff. Oh, a great resource on that is uh, Tim Keller's Generous Justice book. Mm, excellent. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, fa- fantastic read. Really easy read. He, he kind of goes through a theology of yeah. an Old Testament theology of, of things like righteousness and, and whatnot. So that's just a, that was a great read a few years ago. I should revisit that one. Uh, so cool. Well, hey, this was interesting. Uh, any other final thoughts that you want to put in there? No, again, this is just something that we have to grapple with. I, I wonder if some listeners might be going, all right, I wish they would have answered the questions where I can say concretely, this is what I do, this is what I don't do. And I don't think the answer is, is that simple. I think the answer is love God, love Jesus, love Jesus, love love others. And what does that mean? Something that we just have to grapple with on a daily basis and, and get our pride, our self-centeredness, our comforts and all those things and check them at the door. Yeah. And, and even with that, you know, as a pastor who preached sermons for many years, you know, in your church in Bakersfield, um, you know, like, you could provide an applicational framework, but you don't know the lives of everyone. I mean, right. you do know the lives, but you can't speak a sermon to every single individual in there and tell them how they ought to apply it. You well, can give and, them in a it's like this. Yeah, but you, you can't. What's going on with them on the way home or tonight? Because somebody else might be listening to those same words that I told you and applying them to their life. And I'm like, no, 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 it doesn't apply. Yeah, exactly. It, that, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so that's why we can't tell you like, how, how, what does it look like to love God and, and love your neighbor? Like, we cannot tell you individual listener what that means. Cause I don't know what your life looks like right now, but yeah. you know what your life looks like. And if you take seriously that comment, you could figure out how to apply that. And, and the, the more you love God, the more you learn about him, the more that it's going to be evident in, in how that comes out of uh, your living. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. thanks Vinny. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. So we'll come back next week and we'll do another mailbag uh, Q and a, uh, and these are fun. So please keep them coming. And I think they're interesting conversations, but uh 
if you know this was a shorter episode for us, so this gives you the opportunity to go back and re-listen to the Michael Gorman interview, uh, even listening to the Scott McKnight interview that we did with uh, his daughter Laura, talking about a church called Tove and saying, okay, well, what is Tove? What is good? Uh, and and uh, you know, not doing the negative aspects and, and, and looking at the positive aspects. So it gives you an opportunity to revisit a few of those shows. But thanks everyone. We will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please subscribe to and like our podcast. You can follow Rob's blog at determinedtruth.com or purchase his books on amazon.com. See you next time.